This is the Self-Taught or Not podcast with Dylan Israel and Eric Hanchett, where we teach you the do's and don'ts of software development from two software development professionals, one self-taught and one not. Today, what we're talking about is Eric's sort of origin story, where he, um, he you know, his sort of how he got into coding, because I think one thing that's really important when it comes to being a developer is understanding that and really just in life is no, you know, your career plays a large part of your life and everyone's path is different. I think you're going to see a lot of similarities between Dylan's story and mine in the way that, that we had some struggles in between both of our stories. We both had to work really hard to get way where, where we are. And we're both, uh, we're both privileged in some ways, you know, we, we, we had some advantages, but we also had a lot of disadvantages too. Yeah. So why don't you give us the sort of um, the, 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 birth the child scene like because sometimes people think when you come out the womb you're out here hacking out probably at that time people were doing like visual basic but let me give us our sort of the the ground zero of eric yeah so i'm you know i i'm from reno nevada i've been born and raised it's funny when i tell people that i was born in reno people are like reno nevada like were you born in a casino i'm like no no i was born in reno nevada just like las vegas you know we, we live there a lot of people come from out of town Torino, it's sort of known as more of a gaming, uh, gambling town, but it, there's a lot to offer here, and it's, it's really close to Lake Tahoe. So I was really into video games. I got into Prodigy really young. I got into online really young. I'm a, I'm a little bit older than, than Dylan, so I, I think our story started a little, I started a little earlier off on, on my technology journey, but it was really fun. Especially, um, I remember my dad bringing home like 286s and 386s, and I got to work on those. I used to play just tons of video games. Um, I played like Sierra Online, if anybody remembers that. It was like this online gaming uh, system out there. Um, it, it was pretty crazy. I even um, got into some BBSs, bulletin board systems as well. Yeah, I think that's it's sort of funny because like a lot of I haven't really, I honestly, Scott, I haven't met a single dev that doesn't play video games at some point in their life. Uh, and so like in that aspect, we definitely have something in common. One, one sort of cool note I think I, I liked on here, and this is uh, pre- not that relevant, but you were a big Quake player and tried to join a Quake clan, but it didn't quite work out. <laughs> yeah. So I remember this started happening in high school. I was just really into going out online and going to bulletin board systems. We actually, this was the time where you couldn't easily jump online and, and play Quake against other people. Dial-up modems. So the internet's not like what it is today with this really low ping speed. So I, um, I had tried to join a Quake clan. I remember fighting against this other person and I had lost, but it was just kind of that kind of mentality back then, you know, where we were these, we call ourselves high ping bastards because we just on these dial up modems and we were just doing gaming that way. And it was just a different time. Actually, most of the gaming I did with Quake was in um, together. We would have these net nights, me and my buddies all got together. We would throw all our computers, network them all together and then just do a, a night of gaming, which was really fun. And, and there would be like local clans that would come and to town and we would all get together and, and have these little skirmishes. It was pretty cool. Yeah. And so it looked uh, from, from what I remember when I was talking, your first sort of introduction to programming, your first um, programming class was in college, but how did you, you know, as someone who's, who 
went to college, did you always knew you wanted to be a programmer? How did, how did that sort of path present itself? Well, I mean, when I when I was really young, I wanted to do, I'd be a scientist. And then I realized, like, I, I wanted to get like that beaker set with in like mixed stuff together. And I, I never got it. And then later on, um, I wanted to become a pilot. Uh, you know, my dad was actually uh, more in the Air Guard, Air Force Air Guard, um, really. And I, he worked with a lot of pilots, and I really wanted to be a pilot. But um, sooner or later, I realized, you know, I had just this passion, passion for technology and programming. And it kind of started off with video games and seeing all the cool stuff you could do there. And I think my first class, like in high school, my first introduction to programming was this QBasic class as a freshman in my high school. And this was like in the mid-90s. A very easy class, but it kind of realized like I can input these elements in here, put a go-to, a for loop, and then I can make this really cool. I think I created like this snow, uh, the snow picture, like it was like a Christmas theme and play music. And I was like, wow, this is, this is really neat. So go-tos. Would you actually, because I, I'm going to guess a lot of aspiring developers don't even know what a go-to is because they've never probably, would you give a quick uh, description of a go-to statement for people? Yeah, so basic, the programming language basic, and there's a few variants of it, would have this go-to command. And it meant rather than what we modern think of modern programming languages where you have functional programming and you have different functions and and you call different functions or methods and, and a lot of basics you could like go to and you have these line numbers in your in your app in your program and then each line number will correspond to a different piece of code so you would literally be like okay i want to go to this piece of code that's later on the file and in line 1432 so you put go to 1432 and then it would go down to that piece of code and then it would either return back or just continue on and if you've heard the term spaghetti code, this is pretty much what happened with basic yeah. programs. It really became really easy to create this terrible spaghetti code. And of course, basic has subroutines too, which are sort of like functions, but it, it was really became easy to, to create pretty terrible code really quickly. It was a dark time. It was a, it was a dark yep. time. So you're, you're in school and you're, you know, you a couple shouldn't say a couple of years later, but you're grinding away at college and, and you graduate. And so what, what sort of happens next? Excuse me, graduating from high school um, and you're, you're going to college and what, what starts, how, how is your career, career progressing? How are you, you know, going from aspiring developer to making sure that you're a very quickly hired developer? <laughs> So I had the, definitely the taste of development and programming from that QBasic program, uh, QBasic class in high school, and I did a, a little bit of HTML and CSS. But I I came out of high school and I was like I really wanted to be a developer. This was like right near the dot com bust, kind of dot com right the end right the end in, in the early two thousands. I went to school and I dropped out of school because I thought, well, you know, I can just go get a job. I'm, I'm in Nevada. I'm pretty close to California. I could just get a job in California and make tons of money. And what I did is I did two semesters of college, dropped out. I got terrible, I, eh, okay grades, but not not great um, because I'm spending most of my time just uh, playing video games and, and reading up on tech. And then the dot-com bust hit. Um, I couldn't find the jobs that I could see I could get before in California. So I just ended up taking a tech support job 
um, inside, uh, inside uh, the local tech company in town. And one thing I, re I remember, I was like, I had moved out of my parents' house. I'm like 20 years old. It's, I'm in this really crappy apartment. I have no money. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I have a $500 credit card that I got from my bank that's continuously maxed out. And I'm like, is this what my life's going to be? <laughs> like, I graduated, like, I didn't take, right after high school, I didn't take like a year off traveling or anything. I just moved out and dropped out of college and then just started living. And, and I just realized, wow, wow, this, my situation isn't great. Yeah. I don't want to turn this, this, um, talk into like a money talk or like anything like that, but I, I can definitely sort of attest to the, like sort of hitting that rock bottom financially and the stress of living paycheck to paycheck. And it always amazes me that like I have family members and friends who have been doing this for 30 years, living paycheck to paycheck. And that level of stress either doesn't affect them or they just don't care. I haven't quite yet figured it out. Um, but it's, uh, it's a rough thing when you're sort of stuck in that cycle. So you, you drop out of college, right? And it's not, you know, not, not going as smooth. A lot of people think, you know, oh, you're going to graduate in four years. I, I don't know anyone who's graduated in four years. Uh, but <laughs> So you go do that and you start working in tech support, which is like, you know, a common question I get a lot is, hey, should I take this tech support job and, you know, try to work my way up? You know, it was at the time it was it was a job and it felt like it was closer to being a programmer than just doing nothing or working at 7-Eleven. I mean, at this time, too, I had like I went through like a bad breakup with a girlfriend that had been dating since high school. And I just started being on like EverQuest and WoW and all those MMOs eight hours a day. Started hanging out like at arcades. It felt, it felt sort of like a, a loser a little bit. Um, definitely felt like it wasn't the best time of, of my life. But one thing I'm proud of is I didn't I, I kept going with my dream my dream has become a developer and programmer so i'm like if i can get this tech support i knew that same company hired developers they usually only hired people with college degrees but i knew if i at least could get my foot in the door i thought maybe one day i can become a developer at that company a lot of people you know we're talking about like 2001 to 2004 2005 there weren't as many resources back then to try and teach yourself. You know, nowadays you say, hey, just buy a Udemy course, go on YouTube, you know, 15 years later. But learning to become a software engineer with, you know, open source resources wasn't really something that completely existed back then. No, I mean, this is the day. I don't think Stack Overflow didn't exist. There was no free code camp. YouTube had just started in 2004, I think, and really no one was making YouTube tutorials. Yeah, you were pretty much going to your local library, grabbing books, going to your community colleges, learning to program that way, or if you knew someone that could tutor you, but that was rare. So it was really difficult back then to get in. And most companies aren't as open as they are now. Um, almost every, unless you wanted to get a job at some, maybe a, a small web development company that were just looking to hire people at, at $7 an hour, no one was hiring developers without college degrees either so you're working tech support for a couple of years and you've been out of college for about three four years and and you decide to go back what was the reasoning behind that well i had i was working at that tech support job and i kind of got a few promotions and then i got i was doing like tech support lead and then i got demoted half the tech support lead back to just taking regular phone calls and it wasn't anything i had done to get demoted it was like 
mismanagement and they were changing things around. So, you know, back to, to the situation I was in, I was like, there's got to be something better. I'm making no money. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe college is the right way for me. And I, I think at the time, and that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm pro college is that it really did help me out a lot. One nice thing too, is since I was working at this job, they had this tuition reimbursement program that would help pay for a lot of it. So I took them up on their offer. I decided to only work, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week, which is still a lot while you're going to college. And then just focus my full-time effort on college. And so I started taking uh, programming classes. You have to take a bunch of, of um, normal classes, kind of core curriculum classes that everybody has to take. So I just pretty much my day was get up in the morning. I take like two or three classes during the day, roll into work about two, one or two o'clock, work from two to six or seven. And I just did that every day. So while you're there, you're, you're doing all your classes, you meet the uh, love of your life, uh, and uh, end up getting married right after graduation, and then post-college happens, right? Yeah, so I yeah, got married. Um, so I was still in that same tech support job. So all four years of college, I was doing the same exact tech support job. And I was at that point, I was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> like, I'm not, like I had gotten a few raises, and I, th- I think it was like in like $16 an hour or something. Um, which is not bad, but it was like, I, this is not what I want to do. So I had finagled my way by talking to the development manager, if I could work as a developer for them as an intern. So I had moved into that internship position right before I graduated. And then um, I had worked there as an intern for probably six months. And then they didn't hire me. So it was kind of a kind of a blow. I was like one of these jobs that I had been at at that point for six or seven, maybe yeah, five, six, seven years. And I thought this was my forever job, being very naive at the time, and that I was just going to become a developer. And yeah, they didn't hire me. And part of it was because I didn't, I really probably didn't work hard enough. I probably, they had a really advanced Java code base that I wasn't familiar with and I didn't put the time in. So, you know, I just kind of took it on the chin. I'm like, okay, I'm going to just start applying everywhere. And so you did, and you got a, a referral to your first real interview. And like many of us, it it didn't go very well. <laughs> yeah, so I was hyped. Like I was transitioning out of my internship, and I was like, I need to get a job. I'm just getting married. We, I just got married, and I went to this place called uh, GE, which is uh, General Electric, but they have an office probably about an hour away, which would have been a, a terrible commute, but... I'm like, this is a real tech company. They pay tech company wages and this would be perfect for me. So I did an all day interview. And if you've ever been in an all day tech interview, it's exhausting. I remember halfway through the day, it was like noon. I had just done like two whiteboarding interviews, which I think I did okay on, but you know, I messed up on a few things and they took me out to lunch at Subway and I'm sitting in Subway in the middle of the interview and everybody's talking around me but no one's talking to me. And I realized right there, I'm like, this interview's over. And, uh, and lo and behold, I didn't get the job. And it was just kind of, and I, I just kind of had a learning lesson after that. It's like, wow, if I want to get one of these, these jobs as a developer, I need to work my butt off. I need to spend you know, eight hours a day just studying algorithms, studying um, all the basics that I've learned the last four years. Because they were asking me questions for my degree. They're asking me like operating systems questions, that I hadn't even looked at in a while. I just realized like I need to prepare more for, 
for my for my next job. Yeah, and so your your wife, you know, that happens, and I'm sure there's some some successes and some failures as you know interviewing. Um, usually interviews aren't a one and done uh, sort of thing, right? You got to keep trying, especially I think uh, in development. I, you know, people who don't work as developers and don't know what the interview process, it's a grueling process, every single one, it feels like, uh, but you keep moving forward and your, your, you know, your wife hooks you up with a job uh, in development at her work. Is it right? Yeah. So I, I was spending like eight hours a day, you know, I, once now I am married, but the internship was over, don't have a job. And I start practicing these algorithms every day. And then my wife's like, well, why don't you just work for us? We, my, my boss is looking for a programmer for this home automation company. And we deal with these, these devices that help control the lights and the HVAC and your home entertain, the, the entertainment systems. And the programming is kind of like the C type syntax. It's almost like, it's also visual too. You have to kind of move stuff over there might be a little bit of web development. Yeah. So I, I jumped on it and that was the real, my first real uh, programming job. I wish I had a better story that I worked thousands of hours like Dylan and, and applied to thousands of places, but it was just happened to be, I knew someone that, that worked there and she, she was able to get me the job. Yo, when I was looking for a job, I would have wife somebody up too, if they, <laughs> they got me my first <laughs> job. Um, but yeah, so, so you're working at this first job uh, for a while and, um, you know, you're doing web dev on the side. Things don't, you know, some some unfortunate news happens as is life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if you listen to our layoff episode, I mentioned a few times where I've been laid off and this was one of them. So I had worked there for two years right out of college. And one day my boss actually pulled my wife aside, didn't even tell me first and told my wife that I was laid off. And then my wife came home crying and told me I was laid off. And that was like, that was pretty hard. I was like, and I realized though, it wasn't quite the right path for me at that job. You know, all looking back, they didn't, you know, they didn't really pay that much for, I mean, they paid okay, but it wasn't as much as I definitely am worth. A few, few months later, my wife got laid off when she was uh, right after she, we had our first kid together. So once again, like, I have no job. Now we have, I'm married and I have a kid and we both get laid off within like months of each other. And this is, you know, late 2000s where the housing crisis is at the highest. Nobody's hiring in, in Reno where I live. And I was like, dang, man, this, this is tough times. Yeah, it's not, not a good time to be. I mean, if you've ever seen the movie The Big Short or anything like that, that's the, that's the period of time we're talking about where mortgages are, you know, going up and under and people are losing jobs and it's a tight labor market to uh, say the least. And you move on to your second job, which isn't in development necessarily. Yeah. So I had spent two months maybe putting out resumes. I mean, we thought about moving to, to San Francisco. We thought about moving to Boulder. We thought about getting out of Reno, but we had family there. We just had a baby. It was just like really tough. We had a lot of good friends so I, I just kept applying for different places and, and uh, I found a QA job doing quality assurance, which is not what I wanted to do. But when you got to pay the bills, you got to pay the bills. So I, I took the job and um, I, I just worked my butt off. I was just trying to, when I, when I got in there, I was like, I can work, I work everybody here. I understand development really well. I can automate things. 
So I spent most of my days, they had this big Excel spreadsheet of, of manual test cases. So I was like the whole day I was trying to figure out like, how can we do this better? How can I do this faster? Can we put this in some sort of system to, to automate it? I even worked with a team to help try to automate some of the testing that we did. And we got, we, we made some progress, which was good. Um, then I just spent three years, well, two and a half years there just working in QA. And at the same time, they had a development department. So I would just go over to the development manager. He worked, he used to work at NASA and he was just this really brilliant guy. And I'd be like, Hey, you know, I'm really love to work for you guys. And he's like, well, tell me about your experience. And I tell him I'd have a CS degree and I was working QA and he, and he would just be like, okay, well, next time we have a job opening, apply. And then I would apply and then I wouldn't get the job. And that went on for for two and a half years. I think I, I think I was there for three months before I started trying to apply for different departments. Yeah, and that's um, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people are like, hey, should I take this QA job to go into dev? It's like, you can take that path and it's not it's not a bad one, but don't think it's uh, sort of going to be overnight because it's companies, once they sort of have you in the role that they have you in, they oftentimes want to keep you in that role a lot of times. Yeah, especially if you're good at it. I mean, fortunately... Yeah, you you don't uh, the opportunities aren't aren't quite as there. And this was a little bit of a or, bigger organization, you know. Having those looking back now and having those two and a half three years in QA, I have so much more respect for everybody I work with who's a, who works in QA now, because I I've been there. I've been having to deal with crappy code that doesn't work. Like we literally had in our dev department I was working with, they would throw over code that wouldn't even compile, that wouldn't even work we had like we had to do a sanity checklist to make sure once we got new releases to just to make sure the base of functionality worked because half the time it would be broken so i i got a really good respect for for qa but to move the story along i did i was able to um, i found a different person uh, her name was janie she gave me uh, my really uh, a big chance with me and said you know if you want to come over work with java and work with us, we'll give you a shot. You know, I've seen you, and she even joked that I saw you've applied for, I think she said a dozen times in the three years I was there. And she said, like, if this doesn't work, then, you know, you're, we're not going to let you be here. But you'll probably lose your job. But if this does work, you can stay. And so, you know, as soon as I got the job, I got no raise in pay. I was still making QA wages, which Unfortunately, the industry that we're in, QA wages are usually a lot less than developer wages. It's a good chunk less. But I'm like, I won't even take a pay raise or, or anything. I'll just work. So I just started. And I remember my first programming assignment was to write this report. And I had to write like this thousand, probably like a 200 line trans SQL statement. I didn't know. I knew some SQL, but I didn't know it that well. And I just spent like three weeks writing this huge trans transact SQL statement, integrating it with a Java report system and getting it all working. And when I got it done, I was like, okay, I made the right choice. And I worked like tons of late hours. I know that uh, once later in your career, you know, I think you focus more on your family, but I think earlier in your career, you got to put in those extra hours. Yeah, you definitely want to ramp up. Now I want to touch on something that, uh, because I'm money hungry and I think a lot of people are and you know part of the reason they get in development but you said you didn't take any pay increase but uh so you're at this job about eight years so you're here for another five and a half years how did you at what point do you say hey I'm you know maybe my wages should go up and how did you sort of 
negotiate that or bring that topic up once you felt like, okay, cool, I'm doing a good job. I'm not going to lose it. <laughs> Let's have a, a conversation. Or did you even? In hindsight, I probably should have had that conversation. But what I did is I just believed in, in my management team, the managers I worked with, and I just thought that if I worked hard, that they would recognize me. And uh, it, it came out to be a good story. They did. So I think the first year, I may have gotten the minimum raise, but like the second or third year, I got some really big uh, bumps. So I got like 10% increases, 15% increases, which are pretty high. You know, some industries have that every year. I think a lot of companies don't. You're sometimes lucky to get the two or 3% raise. So I got some really big raises and that pretty much put me on equal footing as the other developers when I left. And I, you know, I went from senior, I think I went from like developer one to, they have these developer steps. They had developer one, developer two, developer three. And so throughout all, I think I made up three or four steps. If I ever run a, a dev shop, I'm not going to do like one, two or three. I'm going to do like Dragon Ball Z characters where you start off at like Krillin. <laughs> eventually you become goku you know like that's, that's gonna and be then super saiyan was yeah. that like is yeah. that like a fellow yeah then you'll get to um super saiyan super saiyan 2 super saiyan 3 <laughs> we're not gonna do super saiyan 4 you'll do super saiyan god and super no, no god super saiyan super saiyan blue i don't know and then uh, ultra instinct and at that point we have to fire you because you cost too much money <laughs> you know i hear that in some organizations like titles don't mean anything and people just get, they just make up titles. But the, the problem I don't like about that is if there's not a stepping stone between different titles that have different pay bumps and pay levels. Because yeah. if you just make, make up, if you're in a startup and you're like, I'm, I'm super ninja developer, how are you going to be like, hey, can I get a, a raise to super ninja developer too? Or you just have to hope that they do? I don't know. Yeah, so my, my thought on this is it's a sort of twofold is, um, you should always know what the next step in your career at a company is. And if you don't, guess what? There isn't one. So like, keep that in mind. Uh, and you have to accept that fact or move on. Um, and two, what your some companies have really wonky titles. And like um, one thing that I've done on my resume is I, I simply give a title that's relevant, right? So like my first title ever was web engineer. What I was basically was a, a full stack dev. And so I just put full stack engineer on there. And that's a good one. You, you know, don't, don't go and if you're tech support, don't go and put full stack engineer, right? But uh, if it's relevant, because, you know, so a, maybe a software engineer one at your company is a senior dev, but other people may not know, or, you know, web dev one or web dev two, just put senior software engineer. It's not, you're not lying. You're sort of more so clarifying. And I, I, I do that because I've made that mistake and I've had recruiters tell me, well, what the hell does this mean? Basically, <laughs> you know, you're there for a couple of years and you decide that, you know, you do anything for eight years, shit gets repetitive, right? And you're saying, I need a little bit more of a challenge and onto the, the next endeavor. Right. And I think if you've been in any place for more than four or five years, months. especially in tech, <laughs> <laughs> months for, yeah, it feels so nowadays it's months, but yeah, it's really hard to keep learning and keep things fresh and new. And when you've been at a job for that long. So I decided that, well, first I decided my first real challenge is, Hey, once again, tuition reimbursement through my company, that's a running theme through my story. 
like, I can go back to school again. Do I want to get a master's in CS or do I want to do something else? And I looked at the master's and the classes were in the middle of the day. Like they didn't have, they didn't cater towards working adults. So I would literally would have had to finagle with my boss to like come in at you know, noon on some days and one on other days and maybe work the weekend. And that sounded pretty horrible. I might've been able to pull it off because my boss was really supportive. But instead, I, I, I looked at it. I had a friend that was in the MBA program. So I went back to school and got my MBA, which um, we could do a whole podcast on uh, developers who get MBAs. I actually knew quite a few. And, and I think we all have different ideas of that. But it was just a great experience. I got to, to meet some really cool people. And what kind of really I, I like, one of, the, one of my highlight classes, I took a personal branding class, which kind of sounds funny in the MBA world. But it's a way to, it was kind of like a way to teach MBA students how to get your name online. And so like how to create a Twitter account and how to create a blog and how to create a YouTube channel. And then they actually made you post to your blog every week, two or three times, and also post to social media. And, and then a couple of assignments had you create YouTube videos. So it was like a crash course on how to become a YouTuber and how to become a, so, you know, in, how to create a brand. So and we had a whole episode on branding, I believe. So if you guys want to listen to that. I was going to say that it's, it's uh, interesting that, do you know the what the number one job that millennials want to have is? To be an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, 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 our entire generation wants to just be YouTubers and like, uh, and, you know, show their butts on Instagram. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, but this did have a profound effect on, you know, your career and your life, right? So we have the YouTube channel and you start a couple other side projects. Yeah. I think me and Dylan both could be considered influencers and I don't really like that word because I think people use it in a negative connotation now. Like if you have any sort of online presence. Yeah. Almost like, almost like we're peer pressuring the world. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like like influencing people, like it's some some nefarious thing. Like no, we're just two guys have built a little bit of a following on YouTube and podcasts and stuff, and we teach people things. Where were we? Uh, anyways, so the, <laughs> we were talking about your some of your. I was trying to get you to talk about some side projects. <laughs> yeah, so I same time like the same time period. I was still working this job. I went back uh, doing my MBA. I just did a ton of little things. You know, I, I think this really helped my career and really helped me kind of propel it forward. I went to hackathons, my local hackathons that they had. Um, they, I created a program called Be By You, which was like how to find coworkers. We created this little bit of an app that you can connect to other coworkers, not coworkers, just anybody, anybody that signed in, you can like kind of track their location and see when they're nearby. Uh, it was kind of a fun little app. We did something called Remind Memo. I worked with another guy on that for six months. Um, I had never worked in WordPress in my whole life. And I just like, I'm going to learn WordPress. I'm going to learn how to create plugins. So I spent like six months creating this plugin that you can use to pop into a WordPress site to send appointment reminders. Like if you're, let's say you're a dentist and you need to contact all your patients you would for an appointment that they're going to have, you would use this little app I created. And then I went to like hackathons. Uh, I went to even more hackathons. Reno had a hackathon where you helped create an iOS. We created like an, a little iOS app. I, I've never done iOS before. And I just kind of tinkered to, to tinkered it and put it together, uh, put together this iOS app. Now, I don't always recommend going to hackathons and picking up a technology you don't know. I actually didn't win many of these hackathons. It was more of a, a learning experience to me. 
Uh, but I did on my second hackathon, Reno hackathon I went to, we created, I think we called it property monster. It was like, a, it, it took the public data from all the assessor, uh, Reno assessor sites uh, where you can find where everyone lives and how much their houses are. And we put it in the searchable database, which was really fun. Yeah, so I, I just spent a lot of time doing things like that. I even was contacted while I was doing the personal branding class to do a book. And so I created my first book called The Ember JS Cookbook. And if you go back to our How to Write a Technical Book podcast, you can learn all about how I did that. Yeah, so obviously quite a few side projects. And I'm sure we, you know, we could sit here and do a, you know, it's so funny. We did a side project episode and I think it was our shortest episode. But we <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> were prepped enough. But yeah, so um, you get your MBA, you get into the you know the value of influencing and uh, personal projects due to the book deal, due to getting your name out there, and due to just the industry, you get a couple of recruiters that you know snipe you away to your your current job. Right. I think everything I did when I was working that job, I was working eight hours a day doing development there, and then spending three. No, no, one to three hours every night, either writing this book, going on YouTube, doing you, um, you know, preparing for a hackathon, um, even did some freelancing. So I just spent my time and, and you would, and it just starts building up. Like not all these things did, it just kind of helped me propel me into being recognized. And I started getting lots and lots of recruiters contacting me. Um, and I had all these job opportunities I got flown to Mountain View. I applied for Google. I didn't get it, but I was flown to Mountain View and stayed overnight there. I was flown to Boston, New York. Like I was doing all these interviews, meeting all these people. And it was really because just putting myself out there and doing all these side projects. The, the second job, the, the job I had, I had, you know, I was definitely feeling like I needed to move on. I've been there so long. I decided that um, there were some aspects I really liked, like, I really like the people there. I did some traveling. I traveled all over the U.S. I really liked that part, but I wasn't learning. Like I wasn't, I wasn't being challenged enough. So I had just kept um, applying. Not not really trying to apply. I would just every time a recruiter would email me for the last two years at, at, at my previous job, I'd be like, okay, well, what, what's what's this? I would just get the the info on it, and if they really like me. I would do the phone interview, but I've never like reached out to anybody. I just made, I just waited for people to reach out to me. And some of them, I almost took a few offers. Um, a lot of them I got rejected on, but it gave me a lot of experience of also getting back out there and interviewing. Yeah, it's a good position to be in. Um, so we're caught up to present day and I, I think we've, we've dove into the, the journey a little bit um, through this episode. Any, any sort of final thoughts uh, that you want to touch on? Yeah. Well, just to to end the thread there, I did get the job I am at now that I've been at for a couple of years now. It's called Sarity. It's an awesome company, and they they really treat me right. It's uh, where we do insurance, workers' compensation insurance, and you know, I'm being challenged every day. It's a lot of really fun stuff. And you know what? I'm, one thing is, I think me and Dylan's story isn't over yet. We're still doing tons of things. We're doing this podcast. We both have membership courses. Um, I'm trying to look at some new projects I want to start next year. So I think, um, you know, if you can learn anything from my story is that really what really propelled me and really 
took me off is just having that willingness to just put a lot of effort in and then just take chances. Like it was a huge chance to take that MBA course. Like I I didn't know it it was a ton of time. That's three, took me over three years to do it, but it like paid back in so many dividends and, and so many things. And YouTube was a big, big thing too. It was like putting yourself out there, but it's paid back multiple times. So I would say if you learn anything from this podcast episode, it's just that, you know, putting yourself out there and just trying a bunch of different things is, is well worth it. Yeah. I think that it, the one thing you can tell from both of our sort of stories is that that consistent level of effort outside of work, even if it's just an hour a day, which can help propel your career and, you know, your finances and your life for that matter. And, you know, from all these projects, from going back to school and, you know, um, writing books and, you know, you can see the the dividends nowadays. Also, uh, I think we can both say too, I'm married. I have two kids and just having that support for my wife and my kids, it makes things so much easier too in life. And I think you could say the same thing, Dylan, with, with your girlfriend. And Oh yeah, man. I've, uh, I've, I've talked about this before where, you know, April and I have been almost 10 years now and there was a point where we broke up and, I remember feeling like such a loser, like, cause I didn't have my dev job and I was studying. I didn't have it yet. And I was like at that cracking point and I called her and we were broken up. She had no reason. She came over and, and it's like, well, are you trying? And it's like, yeah. And she's like, you're going to do it. And that was all I needed to hear. Like that was it. And then like six, eight weeks later, I got my first dev job. Yeah. It just keep, keep going out there and keep trying and, and it, I think it'll all work out for you. And I think both of us have a lot more to write in the story. We'll see. Maybe we'll do a, um, a if we're still doing this podcast in two years, maybe we'll have a uh, update. For yeah. And more of the story, as my girlfriend would summarize it, is basically the women held us down and they did it all. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll leave it on that. Hey guys, thanks for watching. If you want to find more about what I'm up to, go to dylanisrael.com. And if you want to know what I'm up to, you can check out my website at eric.video. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And if you do, you might even be featured on our next episode. Don't forget to check out the website at selftaughtornot.com. From there, you can sign up for a mailing list where we give away free courses and a bunch of cool stuff. And we'll also let you know when the next episode comes out. And finally, if you didn't know, we have a Facebook group. It's called Code Tech and Caffeine. We have over 10,000 members, and you can find the link at selftaughtornot.com. So come join us. We have tons of developers willing to help you guys, mentor you guys. Check it out. Just make sure you go to selftaughtornot.com and check out the Code Tech and Caffeine link. Thanks, and take care.